Kia ora katoa. If you don't know me, my name is Calvin, and uh, actually, it's just such a privilege to be able to be here um, and to be doing this with, with my Coast Vineyard Fano. and this is my first time visiting Coast, um, so it's actually, yeah, first time I've ever been invited, so, you know, just thought I'd put that out there. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, it's, it's really special, and uh, this year, as Stanley was just sort of saying, marks, marks a real shift for me. Uh, for the last 10 years, um, I have been on staff at Shaw Vineyard Church, serving uh, initially as the youth pastor, but uh, for about eight years as the associate pastor. Um, but a few years ago, I had a really interesting um, opportunity um, come into play where I was approached by uh, Parachute Music and asked if I wanted to develop um, chaplaincy in the music industry. And so for the last two years, I've been, I've been slowly developing that, working closely um, with artists in our country. Um, just developing a lot of relationships and some, some really cool things have kind of gone on there as well. Um, I should also introduce you to my wife, Georgia, who's not here, um, but I can show you a picture. This is, uh, this is my wife, Georgia. Uh, she is currently hapu, so we're having our first child in April. That's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got to wake you guys up a little bit. Yeah, so we're really excited. Um, and that's our dog, Dakota, um, who's not very like compliant in photos. We tried to get a nice little family snap. Didn't quite work out on Christmas Day. Um, but that's our little family at the moment. We're having a little boy in April. Um, and so we are just so excited. And we're very aware that our lives are about to be turned completely upside down. Um, so yeah, anyway, so that's all, it's all been very exciting. There's been a lot of stuff um, kind of going down in the last year. And so my life as I head into 2020 actually looks um, so different to what it has uh, to what it has done for the last 10 years. Um, it's been a really interesting thing working in the music industry and developing a relationship with a whole bunch of professional musicians. Um, the way my role was initially created was there was a survey done in 2016 that looked um, at basically the, the lives of professionals in the industry. And, and what, it, what it came to show was that um, musicians uh, tend to have uh, they're about four times more likely to experience issues with mental health. They're about three times more likely to have uh, substance addictions. They're about three times more likely to experience suicidal ideation. And the list kind of goes on and on and on and on. And so there was a, it felt like there was a real need to put some systems in place that would help to support people in the music industry because there, there weren't many things uh, that were in place to provide that kind of support. Um, and I've been really lucky, lucky to be able to step into that position and begin to explore ways of developing that. Um, there's some other organizations which are also doing some other exciting things. And um, I've actually been able to, to, to do a, a bunch of really amazing stuff with not just Parachute, but um, other organizations like Music Helps, which used to be the New Zealand Music Foundation, um, and also with Auckland Council and Creative New Zealand. And there's some really cool things. And so it's quite exciting for me, I think, to, to see that there are some really Really good systems in place that are helping not just musicians but those in the creative sector. So this is really where I sort of get to speak from this morning because I think creativity is really important and we want to find ways of being able to nurture and cultivate that. And so I want to explore that a little bit this morning. So hey, why don't we just take a couple moments to just pray um, and then I will get us into things. So Holy Spirit, we turn our attention and our affection towards you. We incline our hearts towards you. Holy Spirit, come. Just rest on us in power and in peace. And Lord, I want to thank you for the heart of creativity that you have put in each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray that you would stir that in us today. Stir in us a desire to pursue creativity. 
in new and exciting ways, in bold ways. Come and do a good work in us, I pray. Amen. So one of the things that's quite interesting is that it has appeared to me over uh, the, last, the last few years that creativity is a, a word that seems to have been co-opted entirely by the artist community. And so often we uh, end up disqualifying ourselves as creatives if we're working as an accountant or a builder or a teacher or whether we're a stay-at-home mother or a stay-at-home father. doesn't matter what we are. There, there are a lot of us who would disqualify ourselves as creatives because we tend to look at the musicians and the dancers and the theater kids and all those kinds of people. We, we say, well, those are the creatives, but that's not what I am. And for me, theologically, when I look at the scriptures, I think creativity is hardwired into our very humanity. We are called to be creators. You know, when you look at the sort of bookends of Scripture, when we start with Genesis 1, which we're going to be spending a ton of time with today, um, and we, when you start with Genesis 1, we see God create, and He creates a garden. And then at the end of Scripture, at the very end of Revelation, we see this picture of a garden city. So around the city, humanity have been creating. They've been building. And so there is this picture of partnership, um, a picture of sort of walking in step with and in alliance with God, and you get this final created product, profoundly beautiful. So there is always this intention with humanity that we come in and alongside God, that we move with Him, and we begin to bring shape and form and give beauty to the things around us. We get to create and move with God. Doesn't that seem cool? Yeah. Creativity, I think, is hardwired into humanity. Um, and I think creativity, it can take place in so many different ways. Um, other words for creativity, we could talk about innovation. We could talk about entrepreneurship. We can talk about inspiration, the finding creative ways of inspiring others or calling the best out of those around us. We can talk about cultivation, um, cultivating spaces where people can learn and grow and to create things. You know, that's one of the things that we get to do uh, at the Parachute Studios is we've built this environment where we've cultivated a space of community to combat some of the isolation, and we're, we're creating spaces, and that itself has been a creative endeavor that's then inviting other people into a space of creativity so we can cultivate. Um, we can talk about design. Um, so whether it's an architect designing homes uh, or whether it's someone designing what, a, what an app looks like on your phone, like these are creative endeavors. And then even the way, even developing those things, software programmers, you are creative, you know? Creativity is hardwired into everything. If you are an engineer figuring out how something would work, that's a creative endeavor, and it goes on and on and on. And yet, so much of the time, we disqualify ourselves because we are not artists. And I want to talk to you today and say creativity is hardwired into our very humanity. Why? Well, to understand that, I think we need to go back to the very beginning. So if you've got your Bibles with you, digital or paper, analog, right? Why don't you pull them out? Just go to Genesis chapter 1. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, it's right at the beginning of your Bible. So uh, some of you, the pages might still be stuck together in that part because you don't, don't often go there, right? We often jump straight ahead to the Gospels. Um, but why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 1? 
Um, and essentially what I want to do today is I want to look a little bit at the Genesis creation narrative and see what it says about creation and about humans. Um, and then I want to pull out three ideas that I've just been thinking about quite a bit over the last two years and just sort of, um, I don't know, offer them as something that might be potentially helpful for you as an idea. Um, and then I want to explore a little, bit at, a little bit about how these might encourage a renewed sense of identity, purpose, and creativity throughout our lives. Now, um, just to give you a little bit of a background, because I think Genesis is a text that needs a little bit of background to it, particularly uh, if you uh, haven't been in church for a while or this is your first time. Um, Genesis is this very ancient text um, that was uh, essentially the first earliest versions of it were, were somewhere around, or that we can track uh, somewhere around the 8th century BCE, right? So look, we're talking a long time ago. Um, but really, the, these stories, they come out of uh, the 13th century BCE, which is when Israel was liberated from Egypt. So this is the first thing I want to say about Genesis this morning, is that one of the easiest ways we can read it is to imagine that we were a slave in Egypt, right? This is the easy thing to do, right? It's not, but, <laughs> but we can imagine it. Um, imagine that you're a slave in Egypt, and you have been liberated by this God, and you're wandering in the wilderness, and you've got all sorts of questions, because all your all you've done, all your family's ever done, and for all of the generations of your family for the last 400 years before you, all they've ever done is been a slave, told to produce, told to make, and, and just told to, to bow to the Pharaoh's every whim and every desire. And so you have been liberated. And so these stories, these part of the, the, these elements of the Hebrew tradition are sort of collated and brought into this document called the Genesis Texts. And these will eventually be collated as part of a larger group of texts called the Torah, which would be the first five books of your Bible. The reason why I tell you this whole thing about Israel is because it's important to understand that Genesis is fundamentally uh, a text about identity. Okay? The te- uh, when I talk about identity, we're talking about these people in Israel who, for 400 years, their only identity has been that of a slave, And now they are transitioning to be people who are free. For 400 years, they have only known slavery. They've only known seven days a week of work. That's where all of their value, where all of their humanity is tied up. And so when when God liberates them, it is important for these stories to be told so that they might better understand who they are. So when we come to Genesis and we come to Genesis 1... Hopefully this is interesting to you guys. I love it. When we come to Genesis 1, the point is not how the world was made, but why the world was made. The point is not how humans were made, but why humans were made. Why were we created? What was our purpose for? That is is the starting point. And you know, so, so many times over my 10 years of ministry, So many times I've entered into conversations with people, and it doesn't matter what the things are that they're dealing with, the things that we sit down and we're talking about over coffee, and so much of the time it can simply boil down to the same things, these really basic ideas of identity and purpose. Who am I, and what am I supposed to do in this world? How do I be in this world? Fundamentally, that's what it comes back to, and that's what we're talking about, and that's the angle we're coming to Genesis chapter 1 from. And so, 
We imagine ourselves as liberated slaves from Egypt coming to this text, Genesis 1, and we're just going to work our way through it a little bit. I hope you like reading the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening, and there was morning, the first day. And then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that, had made, that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And then just going to Genesis 2 real quickly. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
When was the last time you just sat through a whole chapter and a little bit in church, right? It's honestly like one of my, one of my most favorite pieces of Scripture. And it captures so much of who we are and what God is up to. There's a couple things. The first thing is this, is that the key idea, the key idea is that we are made in the image of God. First and foremost, humanity is divine image bearers. So that means that there is a desire that God has to see his glory reflected back at him. There is a a desire and an invitation that is extended to reflect God's goodness and his likeness back toward him. That in the way we live and move and have our being, there is this honoring this celebration, this participation, this partnership with God that takes place. That is the vocation and the call of humanity. And so for the slave in, uh, coming out of Egypt, who's been told that they're worth nothing, what's the first thing they're told? You are made in the image of God. I want to tell you this morning that if you feel like you're less than, you're made in the image of God. If you are hurting and don't feel worthy, you are made in the image of God. If you feel not beautiful, well, let me tell you something. You're beautiful because you are made in the image of God. That is humanity's first vocation. So let's hold that in the back of our minds a little bit. Let's hold it in our hearts. And I just want to point to a couple of things that God does because it's quite significant for us. The first thing is this, is that God creates order out of chaos, right? Now, we tend to look at something like this, and we do put our sort of Western mindset on things, um, and we look at an event like the creation of the heavens and the earth, and we kind of think about, like, I don't know, Big Bang or something, and we think of it as like a singularity type event. But actually, there's a lot more going on when we, when we study the ancient Hebrew of it. And really what God does is He creates order out of chaos, and so he says, well, this thing that's over here, there's actually, it's, it's land and it's sea. And this thing over here, it's, it's light and it's dark. And he begins to order things, right? Put some things in place. This is what this thing is going to look like. And he, and he establishes rhythms and cycles and seasons. This is how this thing's going to work. This is how this thing's going to look. Because if I'm going to create it and if I'm going to give shape to it and form to it, I need to sort of set the parameters of what it's going to look like, how it's going to operate. So God creates order out of the chaos. And I want to tell you this, for us to live creatively, for us to embody all of our creativity, to function and flourish in our humanity, we too must look to create order out of the chaos of our lives. A couple of you are going, Calvin, you're not a dad yet. What do you know about chaos? I'm about to find out, aren't I? I mean, I'm someone who's just always had a lot of plates spinning. You know, it's like I want to play football, and I want to play golf, and then I want to go skateboarding, and then I want to play music, and then um, I've got to try and be a good husband, and I've got to keep working on my job. And, um, you know, for the last two years, I've had two jobs, and so that's been quite interesting. Um, And then also, I've just signed up to do, like, another round of study at university, so I'm juggling that as well. And um, uh, my dean at the university just asked me, he's like, do you want to uh, do another paper next semester? And I'm like, well, I'm having a baby in the middle of it, so yes. Um, (laughs) Chaos. At least my version of chaos. All of us, you know, we have busy lives. And actually, our world glamorizes busyness, right? 
We celebrate it. We wear busyness on our shoulders, right? What was the last conversation you had? Hey, how's your week been? Pretty busy. Real busy. Oh, I'm exhausted. Right? There's like a lot of chaos that exists in our lives. And, you know, things begin to crumble. We begin to, to lose sight of the bigger picture of things when we don't have that order in place. So in order to live creatively, to order to function out of that fully, we need to have some kind of order. You know, I often think about some other words that might be helpful for you if, if order is not, not quite that. Um, you know, we've spoken a lot in our church about discipline over the last couple of years. Oh, that's a scary word. It's not really. It's just about putting some things in place that go, okay, I want, to, I want to be disciplined in this area, and I want to set aside some time for this, and I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Um, another word that I've really loved to use over the years is this idea of rhythm, that our life needs to have like a rhythm and a cadence to us, much like what God's creation does, right? There is this beautiful ebb and flow to creation, night and day, you know? Like there is this movement through it all, the seasons, so our creativity, we want to have order in it. Um, I don't know how many of you know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but at the, um, which is basically we have our physiological needs, our safety needs, our love and belonging needs, our esteem needs, and then the very last one is our self-actualization. And it's in that self-actualization that innovation and creativity take place. And so when our other areas of our lives begin to suffer, the first thing that falls away is our innovation and our creativity. Right? Those are the first things, our, our desire to live fully out of ourselves, to pursue everything for ourselves. That's the first thing that begins to fall away. And so we have to create order. We have to put some systems in place. Some, we have to adopt some rhythms, some healthy rhythms, and say, actually, you know, there are some things I need to say no to, and some things I need to say yes to, and some things I need to make time for. And you know what, we talk about how busy we are, but we are consuming, like, on average, five hours of television a day. Not television, Netflix, right? Just streaming stuff, you know? Most people, most people have binge-watched a, a season of 12 episodes at some point, or, you know, we'll do eight hours straight of television. Like, we're not busy. Our lives are just full of stuff that isn't necessarily helpful. And so the first thing is we move towards um, discovering and embodying this creativity that we're called to. Is to, is, to, is to embody and discover some new disciplines, some new rhythms to create order out of the chaos. And I would challenge you to think about that. The second thing God does, um, <clears throat> the second thing God does is he affirms the work that he does. So we see, and this is like one of the most important things. We talk a lot about, oh, well, you know, God did this thing on this day, and God did this thing on this day. And actually what God does through the whole creation process is he, he makes this thing, and he says, that is good. And that thing over there, that is good. And that thing over there is good. And that is good. Affirmation is an important thing for us to do. And actually, we don't talk very highly about the things that we do at all. And we often don't receive affirmation very well. You know, um, uh, I think statistically it's like 18, like we will, if we have some sort of negative experience, it's 18 times more likely to weigh us down than someone saying one good thing to us. You know? This is horrific. But this is the thing, like we don't receive when someone speaks something meaningfully into our lives. And we don't talk positively about ourselves. I think in the church one of the things that has um, probably been a little bit damaging is we have... We've kind of skewed a little bit the idea of what humility is. 
So we kind of think about humility as being this like, oh, no, I'm kind of nothing, and we kind of apply this kind of worm theology, right? Like, oh, I'm just dirty and gross, and we kind of just smash it down. Like, we smash ourselves down. When in reality, humility, the word that um, James uses when he talks about humbling ourselves before God is the Greek word tapinos, which means to like, almost like make yourself uh, low to the ground and, and make yourself part of the dust. But the intent behind it is that you would, you're making yourself available to God to be shaped. You know? So what does God do in Genesis? He, out of the dust, forms man. Right? So it's like, it's, it's like God, I'm here. Use me. So I remember Catherine Scott, who's a vineyard worship leader, she said, you know, false humility is like talking about like, oh, no, I'm not going to accept that thing. Real humility is when you go, you know what I was made to do? I was made to worship. And so I'm going to bring the best of myself to that. I was made to serve kids and create like a fun environment for them out there where they can learn and go closer to God. I was made for that. I was made to be an engineer. I was made to be a builder. You know, I was made to create um, a loving home where my children could learn and grow and ask questions and thrive. You know, like that is humility because it's like, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? I'm going to do it. That is humility as it is painted in the scriptures. And so we are to move towards that. And so we need to affirm, we need to speak positively about the things we do. And I think affirmation, we need to be able to receive it from God. And we need to be able to receive it um, from those around us. So learn to like receive those things. Actually stop and register and say, thank you. That means a lot to me. Affirmation plays an important role. I also just want to say something else about goodness. And the Hebrew word for good is tov. Everyone say that? Tov. It's a fun word, eh? Tov is not the idea of perfect. In the ancient Hebrew worldview, the idea of perfect doesn't exist. That's a Greek idea that enters the story later in the picture. No, good acknowledges that there is something that's not quite complete. There is an invitation in good to still be fully participating and fully present to the things at hand, right? That, so when God says, like, that is good, he's saying it is beautiful, it is profound, it is meaningful, it is special, but it's also there for you to do something with. Good and perfect are different ideas. One's Hebrew, one's Greek. Just something to think about. And so good allows space for there to be growth. Carol Dweck, who's a psychotherapist in the States, has done a bunch of studies. She says one of the things about affirmation is affirming the end product isn't helpful. So, you know, you did that song really good. That's like not really the most helpful thing. We can't believe the work you've put into this. I want to affirm just how hard you guys have worked on this for giving us your time and your energy and your aroha into what you do and the way you've served us. You know, like that. That is, is, is healthy affirmation that, that helps people grow and discover more of their flourishing. So I think that that is something worth thinking about as we consider our creativity. Final thing. I read into uh, Genesis 2 for a reason. And that is that God rests. God rests and makes the seventh day a day of rest. Our world is tired, it's fatigued, it's hurting, and it is burning out. And I don't make this statement lightly, but I think that one of the most legitimate things the church can offer the world in the next 20 years is Sabbath. Because we have the same narrative being told to us, you are only worth what you put out, 
you're only with your production. And people are working more and more and more and more. And studies are showing, you know what, it doesn't matter whatever, however many hours you work past 55 hours, you're not any more efficient. You can work 90 hours, you're not doing anything more efficiently. It's like we, we are working ourselves to breaking point. I don't need to speak to the statistics on, on, on suicide and mental health in New Zealand and in other Western countries. I don't need to speak to those things. I'm sure you guys are aware of them. But there is a, a, a cultural heart cry for rest. And I am convinced that in the church, we are not doing it well enough. You know, Sabbath is the only spiritual discipline that is commanded in the Ten Commandments. Not, not prayer, not fasting. Those things aren't commanded. Sabbath is commanded. Why? Because your identity is not in what you do. It's in who you are. And so you create, you contribute, you do things, you, you make that which is beautiful, and then you step back and you celebrate it. You acknowledge it, take it all in. That is what God calls us to reflect back at him. There's a reason the story tells us that God rested on the seventh day. And, and God says, you are made in my image. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to rest. Oh, but Calvin, the devil doesn't take any days off. Oh, he's a bad person to model yourself after. You know? How about modeling ourselves after Jesus and after God? You know what the scriptures say about Jesus in the Gospels is that he observed Sabbath. You know what it says about Jesus? He retreated to quiet places to rest, to, to renew his energy in God. These, I think, are important things for us to remember. So when God creates, he puts order to the chaos, he affirms that which is good, and then he rests and celebrates to take it all in. And we will see this pattern played out through the scriptures. We will see when this thing, uh, these kinds of things come right and, and, and come good. And we see them in the person of Christ. You see Jesus when he encounters people theologically, the sort of arguments about what's the right theology, what's, what's the right way of practicing, what's the right way of belief. Jesus comes and what does he do? He preaches the kingdom and he, and he proclaims its goodness and he models it and embodies it in what he does. And what does he say? This is it. The kingdom of God is at hand. He brings order and structure and understanding to this. He calls people into his way of life when he says to a disciple, come and follow me. Don't just come and listen to what I say. Come and learn my way of life. Come, come move in my unforced rhythms of grace. Come learn those things. That is what Jesus models. He affirms the good thing. You know, when Mary's sitting at his feet, you know, do not, don't tell her off. She has chosen the good portion. You know, or when the woman comes and breaks this jar of perfume at his feet. No, this is the good thing. You know, he affirms that which is good. And like I said before, Jesus rests. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. You are creatives. Whatever you do, whatever your job is, whatever your vocation is, whatever you do with your spare time, you are creatives. Why? Because you are human and you are made in the image of God. And that is good and beautiful and wonderful and special, all that kind of stuff. And if you can embrace that, and I think if these are things that can become helpful for you as you enter, I don't know, work this year, I don't mean this to be like a 2020 message or anything like that, it's just... These are things you can begin to consider and begin to practice. 
I think what you will begin to see is this life and enjoyment and flourishing of, of, of creativity um, in the midst of the everyday, in the midst of the ordinary. And I think it is a profoundly beautiful and special thing. Um, I'd be really happy to have conversations around what Sabbath can look like. I would encourage you to think about what does it look like to disconnect from the world, to step back and just celebrate and be wholly present and grateful to the things that God is doing in your life and to the things that you're doing. What does that look like? These are questions I would invite you guys to think about. But I want to kind of leave you there because I'm very aware that we're, we're pretty much out of time. But why don't, why don't we stand and why don't we just give a couple moments just for God to come and meet with us. Holy Spirit, come. Would your presence just come and rest on each one of our hearts right now? We want to thank you for this story. And we know, Lord, that, that just as it was thousands of years ago for people struggling to answer the question of who they were and what they were about, Lord, we recognize that these are questions that we face today in our day and age. And so, Lord, in this moment, we lean into the truth that we are made in your image. That we are made in your image. That you look upon us with love and you desire that we move towards these things in your way. God, I pray that you would renew in us a sense of creativity, of a desire for creativity. Man, just as I'm standing here, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that I think there's actually some people here this morning who have been told that they're like not creative or that their creativity at some point has been stunted or shut down and because of that you felt like you couldn't create or that what you created wasn't meaningful and I, I feel like I feel like, it, like we should just pray for that and just prayfully break that because I think God wants to say to you you are creative and what you create does matter and is beautiful and does have meaning and, and carry weight in this world does that feel like that's for anyone this morning? God, I pray that you would help us to unlock and pursue creativity in our everyday lives. Help us to recognize what that might look like. Help us to, to create order amidst our chaos. Help us to discover and pursue new rhythms that give life. Help us to embrace rest and to do rest well with our family and our close friends. To do that which gives us life and, and restores us just as you have commanded.